Good morning. I invite you to turn to the book of Genesis, chapter 18. And uh, if you're just if you're just joining us this morning, uh, we are going through the book of Genesis. And so this text has not been chosen at random, but is simply the next passage that we're going to unpack together. And Genesis chapter 18 gives us an opportunity to behold the kindness as well as the justice of God. So let me go ahead and read uh, the entire chapter. Holy Scripture says, And the Lord appeared to him, that is to Abraham, by the oaks of Mamre, as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. He lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth and said, O Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree while I bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh yourselves and after that you may pass on since you have come to your servant. So they said, do as you have said. And Abraham went quickly into the tent to Sarah and said, Quick, three seas of fine flour, knead it, and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf, tender and good, and gave it to a young man who prepared it quickly. Then he took curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared and set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree while they ate. They said to him, Where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, She is in the tent. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. He said, No, but you did laugh. Then the men set out from there, and they looked down toward Sodom, and Abraham went with them to set them on their way. The Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do, seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him? For I have chosen him, that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice, so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. Then the Lord said, Because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and their sin is very grave, I will go down to see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me. And if not, I will know. So the men turned from there and went toward Sodom, but Abraham still stood before the Lord. Then Abraham drew near and said, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are fifty righteous within the city. 
Will you then sweep away the place and not spare it for the 50 righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked so that the righteous fare as the wicked. Far be that from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? And the Lord said, If I find at Sodom 50 righteous in the city, I will spare the whole city for their sake. Abraham answered and said, Behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord, I who am but dust and ashes. Suppose five of the fifty righteous are lacking. Will you destroy the whole city for lack of five? And he said, I will not destroy it if I find forty-five there. Again he spoke to him and said, Suppose forty are found there. He answered, For the sake of forty, I will not do it. Then he said, Oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak. Suppose thirty are found there. He answered, I will not do it if I find thirty there. He said, Behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord. Suppose twenty are found there. He answered, For the sake of twenty, I will not destroy it. Then he said, Oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak again but this once. Suppose ten are found there. He answered, For the sake of ten, I will not destroy it. And the Lord went his way when he had finished speaking to Abraham, and Abraham returned to his place. This is the word of God, and it is for our good. Let's pray. Father, uh, we thank you for your holy word. I pray that as we ponder it this morning, that we would be, as it were, on holy ground, hearing the words of the Lord, the Holy Spirit, shining the light of truth into our hearts and transforming our lives. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. So let's walk through this passage. The entire passage is understood as a visitation from God. As you can see at the beginning of chapter 18, and the Lord appeared to him, and then the Lord's interaction with Abraham goes throughout the entire chapter until you get to verse 33, and that's when the Lord departs. So this whole thing is the Lord God visiting Abraham by the oaks of Mamre. That's where Abraham settled back in Genesis chapter 13. And so I'm going to give you some uh, headings as we go along here. Um, In terms of verses 1 to 8, Abraham shows hospitality to three mysterious visitors. And I say mysterious visitors because it's not necessarily obvious to Abraham right away that the Lord is the one visiting him. We know that the Lord's visiting him, but when Abraham is sitting there by the tent in the afternoon, when he opens up his eyes, what he sees are three men. And remember, Abraham is experiencing this in real time. Like, we have the authoritative account of what happened, and so we know that these three men are actually the Lord, Yahweh, and two angels, 
we, we will meet the two angels uh, at the beginning of chapter 19. The two angels who left off in verse 22 of chapter 18, the two angels came to Sodom in the evening. So you have the Lord and two angels appearing to Abraham in human form. And uh, so Abraham looks up and he sees three men. And although Abraham eventually discovers that one of the three is the Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, Yahweh, Jehovah, he doesn't necessarily know that right away. When he says, O Lord, in verse 3, that's the lowercase, L-O-R-D, Adonai, it's the same word that uh, Sarah uses to refer to Abraham in, in, uh, in verse 12. My Lord, my Adonai, it's the same word that Lot uses to refer to the angels who have visited him in chapter 19, verse 2. My Lords, my Adonai. So it's just a term of respect. And uh, though Abraham probably doesn't know who these three visitors are immediately, he shows hospitality. He, he, he gets his entire household uh, in order to provide a feast for these three visitors. And uh, it, it's, it reminds us of a passage in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 2. The author of the book of Hebrews may actually have had this passage in mind when he wrote, Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. And uh, while this is hardly the main point of the text, it is, it is instructive that when the, the, we are commanded to show hospitality to strangers, and when strangers show up in our lives or at our door, if we discern in them goodwill and that they've come in peace, then we do well to spread a feast before them. But the, the, what's really important here is not so much the fact that they had a meal, but that the meal created the context for some really important conversation that begins to unfold uh, starting in verse 9. And so in verses 9 through 15, the Lord promises a son. And what makes this conversation stand out is the fact that it focuses on Sarah. Because if you go back to chapter 17, which we looked at last week, in chapter 17, verses 15 to 21, there the Lord was speaking with Abraham, and the Lord promised that Abraham would have a son by Sarah in a year's time. Well, obviously, not much time has passed from chapter 17 to chapter 18, because the birth of the promised son is still a year off, so only a very short time has passed from chapter 17 to chapter 18. But in chapter 18, while the Lord is speaking to Abraham again, Sarah is there, listening, reacting, and eventually interacting with the Lord. Uh, It says in verse 9, they said to him, where is Sarah your wife? Up until this point, the three men, the three mysterious visitors, have been speaking to Abraham with one voice. 
right? It says in verse, at the end of verse 5, so they said, do as you have said. And then in verse 9, they said to him, where is Sarah, your wife? But, but now the, the, the conversation begins to focus on what the Lord himself is saying. And he promises that he's going to return to Abraham in a year's time and that when he does, Sarah will have a son. And Sarah is hearing this and she reacts very similarly to how Abraham reacted in chapter 17. She's thinking to herself, my Lord is old, that is Abraham, her husband, and she herself Her body is worn out. She's beyond the reproductive years. The reproductive processes have ceased. And thus it seems absurd to her that in her old age, she's about 89 years old right now, that she would have a baby. But the Lord Lord said to Abraham in verse 13, Why did Sarah laugh? and say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I'm going to come back to that in just a moment, but what I want you to see is that this promise of a son to Abraham and Sarah in their old age is literally a laughing matter because that's how Abraham responded in chapter 17. He heard the promise, he fell down, and he laughed. Now in chapter 18, Sarah heard the promise, And she laughed. And back in chapter 17, when the promised son was named, I passed over this detail last week, but we were told that the name of the son's going to be Isaac, and Isaac means he laughs. Okay, so you can kind of see what's going on. God, as it were, is he's humoring his people with, with news that seems too good and too wonderful to be true. Of course, the the proper response would be to humbly receive it and believe it and not to laugh in disbelief, but that's how Abraham and Sarah did respond with the laughter of disbelief, and Isaac's name shall stand as a memorial to the wonderful and surprising promise of God. But we need to Uh, we need to ponder this phrase, is anything too hard for the Lord? We tend to look at life on the basis of what we think we can accomplish or what we think the human probabilities in the equation are or what we think uh, our access to worldly resources can achieve. And we need to learn to look away from ourselves, from our worn outness, from our limitations and from our inabilities, and instead to look to the Lord and to realize nothing is too difficult for the Lord. Nothing is impossible with the Lord. All things are possible for the Lord and for those who trust in Him. And so I just, I just encourage you, maybe there, there is a promise from the Bible that you know the Lord is impressing upon your heart and you're having a hard time receiving it or you know that the Lord wants to produce some good thing in your life. He wants you to turn over a new leaf or he wants you to take a new, new and fresh act of obedience and you're thinking to yourself, I, just, I can't do this or I just can't see how this could possibly happen. So learn, learn this lesson. 
to look away from your own weakness and limitation and instead fix your eyes on the Lord and trust Him to work in you what He wants to work in you and through you. Let it be to you as it was to Sarah, as it was to Mary in the opening of the Gospels. Let it be to you according to the word of the Lord. This section concludes with the Lord gently and yet firmly correcting Sarah. This is really a beautiful thing because Sarah is afraid and she denies what the Lord had just said, that she had laughed. And it's never a good idea to deny what the Lord has said. She's lying, but the Lord is so gentle with her. Instead of being stirred up in anger, he gently, calmly, and clearly sets the record straight. No, but you did laugh. And he, he, he's just, in a, in a very gentle way, he corrects this woman that he has promised to bless, and she will be blessed. The Lord is gentle with his own. Let's move on to the next section, verses 16 to 21. So the, 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 the meal, of course, is in the past now, and this conversation about the promised son is concluded, and now the three visitors, the Lord and his two angels, they are ready to leave Mam- uh, Mamre. They're ready to leave and to head towards Sodom. Okay, so they begin to to walk down the road, and Abraham, hospitable and courteous, is walking with them a short way to see them off. And then the Lord says, uh, let me give you the heading for these, these verses, 16 to 21. The Lord informs Abraham of trouble in Sodom and Gomorrah. The Lord informs Abraham of trouble in Sodom and Gomorrah. But we get some reflection in terms of how the Lord is thinking. Is he, is he actually going to inform Abraham of these things? Is he going to reveal these things, or is he going to hide them? He says in verse 17, shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do, seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him? For I have chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. You could do a whole sermon on verses 18 and 19. But the Lord is about to do something big. All right, we're going we're gonna to read about it in the next chapter. He, he's, he's, he's going to obliterate the cities of the plain the leading cities being Sodom and Gomorrah. He's going to pour out a a decisive judgment upon these these cities. And so the Lord is reflecting, you know, should I I tell Abraham about what I'm about to do? And the Lord reasons, yes, I'm going to tell Abraham. Why? Why? Why is the Lord going to tell Abraham? Because of the special relationship that he has with Abraham. It says at the beginning of verse 19, for I have chosen him. Literally means, for I I have known him. The, The Lord has summoned 
Abraham into relationship with himself, into covenant. The Lord has spoken promises to Abraham. And Abraham not only has a special relationship with the Lord, but he has a special role in the Lord's plan. The Lord is going to make of him a great nation. The Lord is going to make Abraham a vehicle of blessing to the whole world, to all the nations on earth. And the, the, the Lord has, has given Abraham a special responsibility to disciple his descendants, right? To, 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 to take the ways of the Lord and to teach those ways to his children, to his family and household who would come after him. So that through this discipleship and through this growth in practical obedience and right, doing righteousness and justice, that this nation would grow up to be a righteous nation that brings blessing and light to the whole world. And so the Lord considers that, I'm going to tell Abraham, because of his special relationship and his special responsibility, he needs to know Abraham has a stewardship to promote righteousness in his own household and in his own descendants. And Abraham needs to know that unrighteousness brings a people to ruin, as illustrated by Sodom and Gomorrah. By the way, it's not just about Abraham. The Lord really wants His people to understand Him and His ways and His doings. Right? It's, it, says in, it says in Jeremiah chapter 9 that the, that the wise man shouldn't boast in his wisdom and the rich man shouldn't boast in his riches, but the one who would boast should boast in this, that he knows and understands me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth, for in these things I delight. The Lord wants you to know him and to understand his ways and his doings. Similarly, Jesus told his disciples in John chapter 15, he said, no longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. Abraham is God's friend by grace. Abraham is God's friend, and God is treating him as such and telling him what he's about to do. So then, in verses 20 and 21, keep in mind, th this is going to sound like, well, does, how much does the Lord really know about what's going on in Sodom and Gomorrah if he's going to go check it out and confirm the details? But remember, he's appearing in human form to Abraham, and so he, he is speaking in very human terms. It's as if, right, the, the Lord has heard the outcry, right, the language in verse 20? The outcry, the Lord has heard this outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah. The Lord knows that their sin is very grave, and now he's going to go, as it were, and give it a closer inspection, confirm the details, close the investigation, and execute judgment. 
Does that, does that phrase, I will go down to see, ring a bell? Genesis chapter 11. They're building a tower in Babel. And the Lord came down to see what these proud men were doing. And then he said, I will go down and confuse their language and scatter the people. And that's exactly what he did. Remember this also, that God sees. Back in chapter 16, remember, we, we learned about Hagar, and Hagar called Yahweh el Roi, the God who sees. But whether that is good news or bad news for you depends on the quality of your walk with the Lord. For Hagar, the, the, the truth that God sees was a great comfort to her. But for those who are steeped in rebellion against the Lord, the fact that the Lord sees and hears and knows, it's bad news because judgment is coming. So, the Lord informs Abraham about what he's going to do down in Sodom and Gomorrah. Now let's go to the final section. Verses 22 to 32, where Abraham expresses concern for the righteous people who live in Sodom. We know that Abraham knows that his nephew Lot lives in Sodom. This is, almost, this is certainly why Abraham is especially concerned about the fate of Sodom, because his nephew lives there. Back in chapter 14, do you remember... Sodom was involved in this military regional conflict and Sodom was on the losing side and some of their people, including Lot, were taken as prisoners of war and Abraham gathered his fighting men and went and rescued Lot and rescued not only Lot, but he rescued the other residents of Sodom. So Abraham is concerned for his nephew. And b before we get into the, the dialogue here, I want you to notice verse 22. It says, So the men turned from there and went toward Sodom, but Abraham still stood before the Lord. All throughout this chapter, there are many different people involved in what's going on. You have Abraham and Sarah and the young man who helped to prepare the meal, and you have the three mysterious visit visitors, the Lord and his two angels, if, at least these six. But now, of course, they're away from the tent, so the servant and Sarah are, are back at the tent, and now the two angels depart. They're going down to Sodom, and now you have this, this holy moment where it's just Abraham and the Lord. Abram drew near to the Lord in verse 23 and began to make his thoughts known to the Lord. I, I want you to notice that Abraham did not object to the wicked being swept away. Abraham did not object to the wicked being put to death. That's what they deserve. Now, just to be clear, in case anyone's not clear about this, it's good to continually remind ourselves of this. There really is a difference between the righteous and the wicked. 
But as I've said before, the righteous, the truly righteous, were formerly wicked, right? Uh, so it's not like uh, the, 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 those who are righteous are proud of their own ability at having pulled off a moral righteousness that is pleasing in God's sight. Instead, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Everyone enters into this world a sinner. But when God's grace gets a hold of a person, then he not only forgives and pardons and justifies the sinner, but he begins to transform that sinner from the inside out through the Holy Spirit. And by faith, that converted and sanctified and transformed person begins to walk in obedience. That's what we're talking about here, okay? The wicked are still in their wickedness and they deserve to perish. The righteous have been delivered out of their wickedness. They trust the Lord. They're, they're growing in practical righteousness. God's promises are all over them. And they, because of God's grace and promise, they do not deserve to be swept away along with the wicked. And so here, here, here's the problem in Abraham's mind. The, the problem is not with it's not with the Lord's ability to separate the righteous from the wicked at the final judgment. That, that's easy, right? All the nations are going to be gathered before the Lord. The Lord is going to judge every single human being, and he is going to separate the righteous from the unrighteous. He's going to separate the wheat from the chaff at the final judgment. That's easy for God to do. The challenge of this particular situation is that we're, talk, we're not talking about the final judgment. We're talking about a temporal judgment. We're talking about a judgment that takes place in the here and now of this present world at a particular time, at a particular place, such as obliterating the city of Sodom. But if the Lord decimates a city like Sodom or a country like the United States, the problem is in Abraham's mind, okay, but suppose that there are righteous people living in Sodom or living in the United States. Now we have a problem. How, how is the Lord going to bring judgment upon an entire city full of wicked people but spare the righteous who don't deserve to be swept away with the wicked? Do you, do you see the problem? And, and the, 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 you know, a Abraham, he... he he knows who he's speaking with. He's speaking with the judge of all the earth. He is speaking with the one who has called him out of Ur of the Chaldean, Chaldees. He is, he is uh, speaking to the one who's made great promises, the one who has said to him, I am your shield, the one who has promised to protect him and bless him, the one who is sovereign over all things. And, and Abraham knows that he is but dust and ashes, verse 27. He, he's, he, he, he is speaking to the Lord out of humility and out of reverence. This is, this is the Lord God that Abraham has, has built altars to and worshipped the Most High God. But he's, but he's pressing this question upon the Lord. What are you going to do if there are 50 righteous people in the city of Sodom? Will you 
spare it? And Abraham, I'm sorry, the Lord answers in verse 26, if I find at Sodom 50 righteous in the city, I will spare the whole place for their sake. So right off the bat, we learn a lesson that the Lord is willing to spare an entire city full of wicked people for the sake of a relatively small number of righteous people who live there. Okay? We don't know how many people were living in Sodom. It would, be, it would be helpful to know because then we could think about percentages. But it's not really about percentages. But we know that 50 would be a relatively small amount. Maybe there were a couple thousand people in Sodom. I really don't know. But Sodom had to be small enough for every single man to the last man, it says in chapter 19, to gather around Lot's house. So that's not a city with hundreds of thousands of people. It's a small city. Okay, so will you, spare, will you spare the city for the sake of 45? Yes. Will you spare the city for the sake of 40? Yes. Will you spare the city for the sake of 30? Yes. Will you spare the city for the sake of 20? Yes. Will you spare the city for the sake of 10? If there's, if there's just 10 righteous people in the city of Sodom, will you spare the whole city for their sake, for the sake of the righteous who live there? And the Lord says, yes, think about that. It's remarkable. The Lord is not inclined to sweep away the righteous with the wicked when judgment falls. In fact, he's inclined to do the exact opposite, which is to preserve physically, to physically preserve the wicked along with the righteous on account of his relationship with the righteous. Do you see what a blessing the righteous are to any city or any nation holding back the judgment of God? Well, this interaction that Abraham has with the Lord really helps us to understand the situation that we find ourselves in today in our world. So follow me here with this, with this train of thought. The Lord preserves the righteous when he brings judgment upon the world. Sometimes he delays his judgment simply to protect and preserve his righteous ones. But when, when, uh, when the Lord judged the ancient world and brought the flood, floodwaters of judgment upon the whole earth in Genesis chapter 7, how many righteous people were there on the planet? One we're not sure about Noah's family members. Maybe they were, maybe they weren't. But Noah, Noah was righteous. Noah found favor in the sight of God. And Noah and his family members were preserved by going into the ark. And they were preserved when judgment fell. As we're going to learn in chapter 19, there were not ten righteous people in the city of Sodom. Again, there was one. And so the Lord did not spare the city, but he brought Lot and a few of his family members out. And this is instructive because have you thought about 
the outcry against the United States of America on account of our very grave sins? Have you thought about the outcry against China on account of their very grave sins? But the thing you need to understand is that the situation of the United States or the situation of China or take any number of other nations is that the situation is actually very different from the situation here in Sodom and Gomorrah in Genesis chapter 18. The sin is just as grievous. There is all kinds of obnoxious and rebellious sin going on all over the place. But the thing is, is that Isaac was born. Isaac, the promise of life in a world of death, the promise of blessing to all the nations of the earth through Abraham's seed. And, I, and God made his covenant with Isaac and then with Jacob and with Jacob's 12 sons and eventually the Messiah came. The serpent-crushing, death-defeating, sin-atoning Messiah. And you know what he said? He said, the, the, the risen Lord said, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise again. And that repentance and the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in His name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. And so here's what you need to understand. You're, like, God wants you to understand the world as it actually is under His purposeful, sovereign hand. And the truth of the matter is, is that there are not ten righteous people in America. And there's not 20, and there's not 30, and there's not 40, and there's not 45, and there's not 50. There's millions. There are tens of millions of people in China who have sworn allegiance to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, what that means is, is that God's, the time, the appointed time of God's judgment upon these wicked nations is not yet because his people are here, many of them. Yes, percentage-wise, it's still a small minority, but it's, it's a sizable, it's a substantial minority, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ where the Holy Spirit indwells his people and empowers them and thus we have this opportunity in these evil times. We have the opportunity to represent our Lord, to proclaim His gospel, to demonstrate the beauty of His righteousness. And we, yes, we, we warn people, we warn people that judgment is coming. But right now, we give that solemn warning under the sunshine of God's mercy whereby he treats the world far better than it deserves to be treated because of his people who are in his appointed place at this appointed time to do his work 
and represent his message. The judge of all the earth always does what is just. Sodom and Gomorrah are going down. Lot is going to be rescued. And the grace of God through Abraham's seed is going to bring blessing to all and is still bringing blessing to all the nations of the earth. The God of Abraham be praised. Let's pray. Father, I pray that we would understand you. Father, I pray that, I I thank you that you do not treat us like mere servants so as to leave us in the dark, but you treat us as friends to whom you reveal your words and your ways and your plans. Father, I pray for South Paris Baptist Church that we would be good and humble and faithful stewards of the gospel message and that it would continue to transform our lives so that people can see the beauty of your holiness in the lives that we live here in western Maine. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.